As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined as always by James Moore and Charlie Acklesher. Right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. James, you must have got some great Tottenham Hotspur Christmas presents over the years. Share any favourites of them with us? I mean, I so I, I still have a, a Tottenham 9 Wigan 1 mug. That is my kind of mug of choice. Um, so it's got Jermaine Defoe, Nico Cranshaw, Peter Crouch on the side, David Bentley. I mean, what, what, what more could you want? That's the point, actually. We we did a 10 years on from that last year. So if you want more Tottenham 9 Wigan 1 content, if James hasn't has just given you a taste of that, then do go and read that. And I think th- there was also a commemorative DVD for that. Did You You didn't get that, though, as well, James, in a two-for-one. No, I, did, I don't, didn't get the DVD, no, 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 no. So would you always get the Spurs kit at Christmas? I was trying to think of the best, the best kits. I mean, I, I think I said to Charlie the other day, the best kit, the best Spurs kit is... Uh, the 2000-2001 away kit, a Navy away kit. But I actually think that might have been a birthday present. That was Holston, wasn't it? Was that the return of Holston? Yeah, added as Holston. Yeah, yeah. It's a really, really nice kit. Really yeah, a friend nice. of mine had that. I remember like a, a green pony goalkeeper shirt uh, for Christmas. And then like being out in my grandparents' garden on Christmas afternoon, like diving around and stuff. Goalie kits were really popular for kids, weren't they? I think particularly in that like late ninety, mid to late nineties period when they were all the yeah. insane colours, and that's what you're after as a kid, isn't it? Like the mad patterns and stuff. I think my first Manchester City shirt was the goalkeeper shirt in ninety five six or ninety six seven. The kind of yellow and black, from the yellow and black patterned Umbro one with um with like, and I remember it had elbow yeah, they had pads. that weird material goalie kits in those days, didn't they? I think there is nothing better than uh, being a child and getting a football kit on Christmas Day. It's just the best. But if you're a grown-up, uh, a subscription to The Athletic is probably as good as it gets. So it's the perfect present for you and for someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod 
That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up. Right, now, Charlie, you were there yesterday at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, really interesting and important day for lots of reasons, but let's start with the fans. What was it like being back in a ground with football fans for the first time since the uh, Eric Dyer-Norwich game at Tottenham? Yeah, it, it was um, It was strange. It took a bit of time to get used to, kind of hearing hearing fan noise. And where we sit in the press seats, we've got kind of people in boxes behind us and 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 I've been used to normally the only noises we can really hear behind us are kind of analysts and that sort of thing who obviously they'll occasionally and voluntarily be like oh what, what you know what are you doing sort of thing you're not going to play that pass but they're obviously very measured and then early on you're hearing people kind of effing and blinding at players and, you, and I was like wow that's a bit off key for an analyst and then like oh yeah no they're there are fans here um and that you know the, then the the fans behind the goal um over the other the, kind of there the other end from where we sit which is where they were all gathered they, they made a really good noise and definitely added to the sense of occasion like it would have felt weird for a game like that obviously as they all have felt weird but you know a North London derby like we had in July but that was a much more low-key game there was less at stake um yeah it would have felt very odd to have no fans so it, it you know it's hard to know as well how much of a lift that gave the players because you know they beat City 2-0 at home without fans a couple of weeks ago but it, it definitely added to the sense of occasion and created a, a pretty decent atmosphere. You know, the 2000 fans made good noise and just having chance back and a bit of kind of banter with against the imagined Arsenal fans um, was good fun. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, definitely a big, big step in the right direction. James, how did you feel? Did you feel a sense of frustration that you weren't there in the group? Or Yeah, immense jealousy. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was quite funny that after... Like, like weeks and months of TV commentators apologising for all the swearing you could hear. <laughs> like, the second it was fans swearing, and you can hear it really clearly, like, they don't care. It's only when the players swear that they're bothered. Yeah, very occasionally, like back in the day, but it rarely happens. Fa- commentators will apologise for fan chants, but I think it has to be kind of quite blatant and sung, you know, in quite an aggressive way. When they'd apologise, it'd be like an FA Cup game, like at a smaller ground where yeah. everything's much like, like yeah. really crammed together. They've got their like outside broadcast stuff set up and whatever. And you can hear like specific people shouting stuff. But when there's only 2,000 people in a stadium like that, I think you can kind of hear slightly more clearly individual yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not so much as Spurs actually where the stadium is huge and the fans are to one side. But certainly in some of the other games over the weekend, I think you could kind of pick up individual people shouting stuff. Uh, Charlie, did you get any sense of like it with there being no away fans of course did you get any sense of like the derbiness of the occasion or was it just too unique i mean in a way you know there was the you know the arsenal players when they came out were booed and that sort of thing there was a kind of pantomime feel to it but yeah you obviously you do lose out a bit because you don't have the same back and forth but it was you know there was the kind of your support is fucking shit from the spurs fans to the non-existent arsenal ones and that kind of thing um but it's yeah, it still helped kind of give it a bit more of an edge, um, you know, and the kind of gleeful reaction to to Arsenal mistakes and that sort of thing. But yeah, obviously it's not it's not quite the same as having that um, kind of back and forth, and also the noise is lifted because the away fans always try and make more noise, and then that prompts the, the home fans into responding. Um, but yeah, it was de- you know it was definitely gave it something, gave it an edge, gave it something a bit different from what we've had for the past, you know, however many months. What what is it? Six months since June and the 
start of behind closed doors football. I can really hear this on TV, Charlie, but were there any sort of situation-specific chants that were kind of... Like, so I remember being uh, watching my other team, Kingstonian, play uh, away at Billericay once, and it was incredibly misty, and we were behind one goal, and you couldn't actually see the other end of the pitch. You couldn't see the fans behind the other goal. So when Kingstonian were 2-0 up at the end of the game, we were singing, we can't see you sneaking out, which is obviously (laughs) very funny. Like mm. they could have, they could have basically sung that at the end of the game yesterday, right? There could have been. This more is why of that. they needed me there. This is why I should have had a ticket. Yeah, I think how really, funny that would have been. Well, that's how they should do it on like a tiered system. You have to send in kind of chance suggestions, yeah, suggestions and for, wet, chance wet, for various wet, scenarios. Yeah, wet, yeah, exactly. You are three 0 up in the 85th minute. The opposition player gets a red card. What do you do? Now there wasn't. I mean, the your sports fucking shit was probably kind of the 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 most imaginative of that. That there wasn't too much. It was more kind of. Uh, more general gloating and, and gleefulness. But it was interesting at the end that a few fans had waited um, behind me and were, kind of, were singing Jose Mourinho's name, um, which I don't think had happened before the lockdown. I certainly don't remember it. I mean, West, he, he, Ham, West Ham away. There was a bit at the end of that, wasn't there? Well, in, in his, his first, first, first game. game. First game, okay. there's a little bit from the away end. But yeah. I can't think of any other examples of that happening at all. Which, given we were, t- you know, George Graham never graduated um, to beyond what was it, a man in a in the raincoat um, in his whole time there, um, and you, and you know, you think a lot of how a lot of fans felt towards Mourinho. Certainly in March when play stopped, but even you know a year ago is uh, you know quite a turnaround. I mean, James, what, what do you, would you be would you be singing Mourinho's name if you were if you'd been there? Uh... That's the kind of thing I still feel like because he antagonises other people so much and I think like Arsenal fans really hate Mourinho. So I don't, I don't know if you saw a piece that uh, James and I know not many of our listeners would have read this but may, maybe not. Um, but James McNicholas one of our Arsenal writers wrote a piece last week imagining what would have happened had Jose Mourinho taken over at Arsenal last year when he obviously ended up coming to Tottenham. Um, and Arsenal, the, the comments on that piece are incredible. Arsenal fans who just they just couldn't like countenance the idea that Mourinho could ever manage Arsenal, this sacred football club who have always, always played great football, always, uh, unless you look back beyond sort of like nineteen ninety five. Singing Mourinho's name in that game against Arsenal when Arsenal have basically been completely frustrated by that defence, I think would have been incredibly amusing. So yeah, I think I probably would have done in that game. But you take I mean, it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I think so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 the Man City game, it's the same, isn't it? It's like, you, you know you know how much that would have pissed off Pep Guardiola, so it's funny yeah. to sing his name, it's fine. Chelsea, again, you know, Chelsea fans obviously absolutely hate him and it will annoy Frank Lampard. So it's fair game again. But, but if Spurs Wolves were like grinding out not. a 1-0 win at home against Southampton or Brighton, yeah, then that, that, that feels a bit That feels a bit different. But look, I do want to get into Mourinho as a topic because yesterday just felt like such another big vindication of Mourinho's whole approach. Like the fact, even more so, I think than the Manchester City game. Like I think against City, they had thirty four percent possession. Yesterday, they had thirty percent possession, and yet it felt also felt like a really, really comprehensive win. Like Charlie made a good point in his piece, saying it felt like Chelsea in two thousand and four five. Like just in terms of how totally in control they were of the game and how they didn't need to have the ball all the time to score. 
And they were very happy to let the opposition have the ball on their own terms, just like City the other day. And frankly, I thought Arsenal were probably even less effective than City were. I mean, City at the very least had a marginal goal disallowed from Laporte, whereas yesterday Arsenal never... I mean, James might have felt nervous as a Tottenham fan. I could totally get why a Tottenham fan would feel nervous, but as someone who had no real emotional investment in it, I thought Tottenham looked incredibly comfortable. Okay, it's quite, I, I find it interesting that you said that because that, that game felt so... And I tweeted this afterwards... That game felt so different to me to, than uh, than Chelsea or Manchester City. It, oh, just wow. felt like that, it just felt like there was a lot less control. I yeah. mean, maybe you could break that down and look at the stats and look at turnovers and how often they gave the ball away and whatever, and it would be incredibly similar. But to me, it felt like that was far more panicked. And there was a lot, like in that second half, there was a lot of like hacking the ball up to the halfway line to nobody and it coming straight back again. And, and yeah, I, I agree, you know, the second that full-time whistle goes and you look at it, you know, Arsenal had two shots on target in that second half. Um, one of them was straight at Lloris, about to take a little nick. The other was a relatively comfortable save that actually he made look quite difficult and almost kind of spilled in, really. Uh, but yeah, it was incredibly sterile, really, from Arsenal. It was sterile, sterile domination, wasn't it? Um, and the best football played in that game, we need to be completely upfront about this, the best football played in that game was played by Tottenham in the first half. Yeah, but like passing the ball sideways and not creating chances is not good football. Like this is yeah, that's kind what of I was Jose saying. Mourinho it's a, 101. It's a, it's a bit of a, a myth, um, you know, often about Arsenal playing good football because there's nothing very exciting about just passing it around and not going anywhere. But yeah, I mean, yeah, as you say, Jack, I mean, I made that point about Chelsea in 04 05 when I, I honestly felt like that team were winning 2 0. Like, every single week and it was very controlled and Mourinho I think at that time spoke about 2-0 being his favourite scoreline and I agree with him I love 2-0 as a scoreline I think it speaks to such a level of control it's like you haven't had to overexert yourself but you're reasonably comfortable obviously there's the clean sheet in there it just felt like they had Arsenal at arm's length uh, the whole game really I mean there was a moment at the end where which to me kind of summer, you know, Hoybier won the ball off Nketiah and Nketiah kind of slid on it, slid in on him to try and win the ball back. And it felt like an older brother kind of taking the piss out of their younger brother in, in the garden or something. Like, and I, from bitter experience of being a younger brother, I know what that's like. You know, it, it just, it, they just looked so superior and comfortable. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think it was it was definitely more comfortable than City. I think a lot of that does speak to the quality of the opposition. I mean, they were, I, I actually, f- for very, very occasionally we do a predictions league and I got the right score of 2-0. And I thought that because Arsenal, they they, they are devoid of confidence. They don't score many goals. Um, and it looked like, you know, and, and then once Mourinho had the, once Mourinho's Tottenham had the 2-0 lead, they didn't really need to do very much more. They could just sit in and say to Arsenal, well, are you good enough to break us down? Pretty confident that they wouldn't be. And, and, and that's how it played out. I mean, I know we'll come on to the rights and wrongs of Mourinho's tactics in a second. And I think we're all in agreement that they're mostly rights. But Arteta's obsession with crosses is is mad, right? I mean, it's. I think everyone knows now, Like statistically speaking, it's not a particularly uh, good way to create good goal-scoring opportunities. And against a team like Spurs, who you know are going to sit deep and you know are going to be happy to defend and you know are going to have... You know, they can defend quite narrow. They've got two pacey fullbacks, so they can cut out most and block most of those crosses as well. They've got those two central midfield players who'll drop in to be extra bodies in the box too. And they're going to be quite happy playing on the counter-attack. It seems mad for that to be the approach. I mean, I'm not, I'm not you know, suggesting I have the answer to that problem uh, or the answer to that riddle of how you break that defence down. Um, 
but, but that, it seems crazy that, that that would be like the stated approach before a game like that. It just feels like they they should completely play into Spurs' hands. But I think that's also credit to Mourinho and the way Spurs set up because you you funnel a team into those areas, don't you? You you say right, look, we're fi- we're fine. You can have the ball. We'll let your fullbacks have the ball reasonably high up the pitch. If they want to put crosses in, they put in thirty-two open play crosses, basically one every three minutes. We've got Diamond Viral who are just going to head everything away. You know what they're vulnerable to is pace. And so we'll say to you, look, keep on putting crosses. That's that's absolutely what we want you to do. That's, that's what I mean. But I, it's like a stated track. tactic from Arteta, isn't it? It's what yeah. he wants but his only, teams to do. But only recently. It's not. It's not been a long term thing. They did it against Wolves. They put in a ton of crosses, and then they did it again. But it's it's kind of a desperation tactic. I mean, it reminds me of David Moyes against Fulham, Fulham for United yeah, yeah. in yeah. February 2014, and that was kind of the the nadir. And it, you know, I mean, that was an an absurd number of crosses. But that was kind of. The writing was on the wall for him. It was like, this is just not how you play football. Um, well, of course, Arteta played for Moyes at Everton and may- maybe Arteta has learned so, the kind of yeah, Moyes so tactics. He's learned more so from Moyes than he did from that. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, it is Moyes, amazing. To, it's kind of amazing to watch it because like, it's like it's like he thinks he's got someone like, I don't know, Aiden Jacko up front, like a kind of gangly tall striker who's really good at winning headers and things. Or and Giroud. Like, yeah, or Giroud. And rather <laughs> like than making three years ago making the most of the players that he actually has on the pitch. And, um, yeah, it's like, I know they've... The other day, Arteta said it's pure maths to say the more you cross the ball, the more likely you are to score. But, I mean, I don't think it is. And I think that the more more they crossed the ball yesterday, the more unlikely they look to score actually and I, you know it was just so easy for Dyer and Alderweireld to head the ball away and it, as, you know, as we keep saying it, the game was played entirely on Mourinho's terms it was that's exactly how he would have wanted and expected it to go um, and that's kind of that doesn't reflect well on Arteta I think that he was lured into Jose's trap like that um, I do want to mention quick look, we'll get into the rights and wrongs in a second I also just want to mention Kane and Son again I know we do this every week but they're now on 31 goal combinations. I think both of them are playing incredibly well individually. Um, Charlie, what, thoughts, what was it like watching the Son goal? Because I imagine you guys must have had a pretty good view right behind Son. Perfect. Perfect view. That was right on our side. We're just a little bit behind where he hit it. Yeah, I mean, they they are world class. And that's why, you know, James and I will, will <laughs> discuss the XG each week. And, and that's why it's fine to have a low XG because... An expected goal for a chance is based on what the average player in the Premier League will do. So something like Son's goal yesterday obviously will have a minuscule XG because for the average player in the Premier League, that is extremely difficult. Whereas for him, he can do that kind of thing. And so can Harry Kane. You know, they are world class. And when you have world class strikers, you can afford to have more players sitting deep and not doing a whole lot of attacking. I mean, you've got Sissoko and Hoybier who are there as Michael Cox wrote about last week, they often sit in and make it a back six. And you can do that and still have an attacking threat when you've got players as good as Kane and Son. Like they are, they're so good because they enable Mourinho's team to play in that way. And that's why you can get away with having Dyron Alderweireld, who, between them, their lack of pace should have been exposed. It is crazy. They have not conceded against three big six teams. They've conceded one in the last six. And that's because Spurs can sit with two DMs alongside them and two pacey fullbacks, knowing that they have guys on the break in Kane and Son who are good enough to make goals like they did. I mean, you know, the first one comes from Kane picking it up and just, you know, playing that pass that he played so many times to Son, who's still around the halfway line and good enough to just stride on and score. And then the second Son knows Kane's on his outside. And honestly, to get a sense of how good they were, whenever there was a turnover 
and it looked like Spurs were about to start a counter, I would kind of train my eyes on Granit Xhaka. And the fear that cursed through the guy's body, like he honestly looked petrified and he would invariably either foul someone or try and foul someone. Like it was crazy to watch this guy almost like combusting because he knew as soon as the counter started, he was toast and he was going to get embarrassed and the team were going to get embarrassed. And just seeing that kind of level of fear that Kane and Son inspire in, in opposition players was was kind of extraordinary to watch um and yeah they you know they are they are world class and Gary Neville called some world class and you know I think Tottenham fans probably feel he hasn't always got the credit he maybe deserves and and, and maybe Tottenham have benefited from that because you know when Real Madrid signed Eden Hazard or you know other clubs have made big moves you feel like he he is of a level where they certainly should have been sniffing around him and maybe you know, credit to Levy that he's always been on a long contract, so that wasn't really an option. But he he is right up there. And obviously Kane, you know, said after the game that he was, you know, that he's in probably the best form of his life. And given kind of the level that he's been at previously, we think of his goal scoring feats in seasons gone by, that's a pretty extraordinary claim for him to make. But I don't think many people would disagree. I mean, for completeness, the goals, the assists you know, yesterday he made more. He had more touches in his own box than the opposition's. It is so complete what he's doing. Um, and those two, they they are good enough, one hundred percent, to fire a team to the title. I absolutely loved that left-footed finish for the second goal. That was. So, I mean, the, the pass was great for the first goal, but like you say, he has done that quite a lot recently. Whereas that's smashing it on his weaker foot in off the underside of the bar was so cool. And I just love that break. Like the obviously it was helpful that Party was off the pitch kind of ridiculously. <laughs> well, you, but that you say that four but I mean, two break. Where, where was he? Where was he for the first goal? He was on quote unquote on exactly, the pitch for yeah, the first goal, but I mean yeah. he was nowhere. So, but that four on two break with Lacelso to Santa Kane was it did remind me quite a lot of that Lo Kane to Lacelso counter attack goal against City. A few weeks ago, when Spurs again had, I think, a four and two or a four yeah. and three. Um, so yeah, really, 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 really good stuff from Kane. He is playing so, so ridiculously well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One issue that popped up a lot after the game, James, was whether or not Spurs are right to play this way. Whether, I mean, obviously it's working in the sense of Spurs are top. But is it fun? Is it fun for the players? Is it fun for the fans? You know, there's been quite a lot of, you know, Quite a lot of people were pretty downbeat on Tottenham, even though they are doing very well at the moment. I imagine you've got a slightly different view. Yeah, I mean, like, like, games against Arsenal are very rarely fun. As we kind of outlined last week, there's never really been one other than that League Cup game in 2008 that at any point I've really enjoyed. You enjoy it afterwards if you win, obviously. But during the game, it's gen generally just absolute hell. But I mean, Spurs have scored 23 goals in 11 league games. Uh, um, and Jamie Redknapp was one of the people who was who was incredibly critical well not incredibly critical but reasonably critical in the circumstances um, of the way Spurs are playing so he might be interested to know that it's the exact same number of goals his dad's uh, maverick free scoring team scored uh, in the first 11 matches of 2011-2012 when they were getting loads of praise for being this incredible attacking team 
with Bale and Lennon and Van der Vaart and Adebayo and whatever. Um, so I, I think only once in the last sort of, well, since the mid-60s, only once since the mid-60s have Spurs scored more goals in their first 11 games than they have this season. And obviously in the mid-60s, Spurs were an incredible sight. Uh, it's got two goals fewer than Liverpool scored in the first 11 games of last season when everyone was going on about how great Liverpool were as an attacking side. The only two teams that have scored more goals this season are Chelsea, who have spent £100 million plus on attacking players in the summer alone. And that Liverpool team that, again, I think everyone would agree are one of, if not the best attacking team in Europe right now, the world even. I mean, way one of the best we've ever seen in the Premier League. So, I mean, that's quite important context. Um, I mean, there was a point during the game... Uh, and we talked about the strike partnerships before. There's a point during the game, um, and I don't know if you would have heard this, Charlie, because you were there, but you might have heard this, Jack, that Redknapp sort of suggested, like, like in the second half, as Arsenal kind of banging at the door and not really getting anywhere, Redknapp said that the only difference between the two teams was a strike partnership, that Kane, Kane and Son were incredibly clinical and that Aubameyang and Lacazette had kind of not really got chances or wasted chances, which, you know, is obviously absolute nonsense. But if you kind of break that down, Right, Aubameyang and Lacazette cost what? I mean, 110 million quid, 50, I think. 50 mil each, basically. Okay, well, 100 million pounds fine will be generous. Um, you know, and they were absolutely all over the shop. I mean, I know I've tried to kind of find different ways of getting them both in the team, and it's, you know, it didn't really work particularly well when they were front two. And Aubameyang came out onto the left, and it seemed to be working. And they changed it again and moved Aubameyang inside, and now they're trying to play Lacazette in behind. Whatever, it clearly hasn't been working. Son and Kane, you know, 18 goals between them, linking up superbly, incredibly clinical, as we've talked about, both arguably in the form of their life. And as Charlie mentioned before, you know, Kane has said that himself. One attacking partnership there has improved almost immeasurably under their new manager, and the other is just completely floundering. And yeah, which of those two managers is it who's being criticised for kind of stifling his team's attacking instincts? Do you know what I mean? It just kind of feels a bit unfair that after that game of all games that you would say that. Yeah, I, I I found it really quite strange, and the the piece I wrote after as well was about kind of how well Spurs have turned around defensively, but also James, something I mentioned there that you you touched on, you know, <laughs> winning North London derbies by this kind of mark, a this equaled Tottenham's best in the Premier League, but also like it's not fun dropping po- like it's not exciting dropping points from winning positions, which has been something that's happened in so many derbies. You know, Spurs have dropped. 40 odd points over the years like the way they're playing knowing how to dig out wins again something that Tottenham have so often been criticised for so I find that so strange when a criticism of Spurs teams always is that oh you know are they tough enough do they have that backbone you know do they drop city points and now here we are with a team that doesn't look like doing that and and as recently as October you know we were picking the bones out of that calamitous three-all draw and so to have turned it round and also to be doing it as you say scoring averaging more than two goals a game the third most in the league it, it feels like a really strange thing but maybe you know it's just take it as a compliment it's like people are worried about Tottenham they're, they're a genuine threat now like they when you're clutching at straws like that to to try and find kind of things to criticise them for, suggest there isn't much really to get at them. And also, as we've talked about so many times before, it is viewed through the prism of Mourinho because when Arsenal won the FA Cup playing very reactive counter-attacking football, it was held up as, well, look, they've had years of 
having a this like chaotic disorganized defense and now they've got someone come in and they look solid they look like they have a plan and isn't it wonderful so it feels really bizarre not to be kind of offering Mourinho's Tottenham the same or not more praise given what they're doing they're reaching a far higher ceiling they're top of the league after 11 games they're they're on a ridiculously good run and I, and I think it was either Red Apple or um, Neville made the point you know it shows how much buy-in there is that you've got a guy like Kane who's willing to come back and defend you, you know everyone is on board with this and that bodes incredibly well kind of for the rest of the season and beyond looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So this week, Tottenham have Antwerp at home Thursday night in the Europa League. And then Sunday is a trip to Southhouse Park in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, Crystal Palace had a great win at West Brom on Sunday, just before the Spurs game, um, and they play in a very different way. Like they're, you know, traditionally they're a team that plays in quite deep. They defend deep, pace on the break. They are not. They are absolutely not going to offer Spurs space in behind, are they? So it's going to be a very, very different challenge. The Spurs are going to have to try to unpick that Crystal Palace defense. Um, James, are you optimistic about how Spurs are going to do in that game, or do you think it will be a slightly different challenge for them? Yeah, it's going to it's going to be a very different game, isn't it? The, the thing that uh, maybe not quite worries me, but concerns me a bit, is that I kind of feel like you don't want to be the first team to go to any ground with fans if you can avoid it, and obviously that's going to be quite tricky to do. And Spurs are going to be the first team to go to Selhurst with fans, um, so obviously it's going to be pretty raucous there, I guess. And that could be a bit of a factor. But yeah, it's going to be a completely different challenge. And I suppose you'd look more towards uh, games like Burnley and, and West Brom, uh, where they've kind of had to be a bit more patient. They've had a bit more of the ball. They've had to kind of knock it from side to side and wait for those openings. Brighton as well, I guess, is a bit like that. Um, in fact, that's probably the game that we most like, that Brighton home game. Uh, yeah, I mean that red card in the in the Palace game was obviously a massive factor in them in them winning so convincingly, wasn't it? I mean it was a relatively even game in that first half, and then you know a red card just before half time at one one. Suddenly the second half's a bit of a joke, really. But um, yeah, I, I, you know I think we talked quite a lot in the early part of the season about Spurs lacking the kind of patterns of play required to break teams down. And when they've been able to play, like soak it up and play on the counter-attack as I have done in the last three league games, then that hasn't really been uh, evident. But yeah, it's going to be a thing you're going to see again this time around. So it'll be interesting to see whether there's any kind of tactical change there. Um, whether like the, the whether we might actually finally see La Celso and Dombele play together in a league game, perhaps, maybe. I wonder as well. I mean, like this feel, because I think most you know, fans are, are very happy to be sitting on sitting on the counter and again in games like against City and, and Chelsea and to a lesser extent Arsenal. But I guess if 
you know, pa- Palace is is a challenge in a way because, I mean, do you? I guess you do. You probably do want to sit deep in a way against them because Palace. The only way they're good really is on the counter. Like they're they're a weird team. They Selhurst Park should be a really hard place to go, but they're actually not great at home. But and I think they're often better away because they prefer to sit back. So it's another one really where for Tottenham the best approach probably is to try and sit deep. I guess it's whether Palace will let them. And and also I'm just in you know, I wonder at what point I think Palace away is one where I mean James, you want to better them far better than me, but you know, if Spurs sit deep and if they were to nick that one nil, I think you're in the title race, you kind of just you take that as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean I guess having said that fans will be in there. Obviously, there won't be Spurs fans there. So there's, there's not anyone to kind of get frustrated other than a Palace fan. So, yeah, you're right. I think they can afford to kind of try and do what they did at, at um, Turf Moor and the Hawthorns and kind of sit deep and try and grind it out again, which might not necessarily be great fun to watch. But, you know, as you say, if they win the game, it's uh, that's going to be fine, isn't it? What's your general feeling at the moment, James, on the... Um title race situation are we <laughs> using that phrase the, are we using the phrase are we, use, are we saying Spurs are in a title race I'd said not to Does mention it until we that March didn't they uh, <laughs> we can Jack James is we, just you, weird you, you can if you want I'm not going to listen to it I'm just going to stick my fingers in my ears um, I mean look you can't you can't deny, you know we're top of the league over a quarter of the way into the season they've beaten two of ostensibly the better teams in their division drawn away with one of the teams who are right up there and who have spent a lot of money in the summer on top players. So, you know, I, I, it's only that kind of ingrained pessimism that that is stopping me from saying that they are in a title race, but they're not in a title race, they're not. The little horse, right? Little pony. The pony. It? No, the pony, sorry. The pony. Yeah. Well, I was saying, Jack, it's, I, I'd sort of... Um, I couldn't quite believe... Looking at the league table, it's kind of mad that City win their game in hand. They're only three points off Spurs and Liverpool who play each other obviously in next week and then United if they win their game in hand are only two points off Spurs and Liverpool like in my head those teams were doing so much worse like I, I almost feel like Spurs should be I mean they're, they're joint on points of Liverpool and two ahead of Chelsea it feels like they should be kind of almost further ahead but I guess that's just the recency bias of the fact that they've been so good in recent weeks and whereas they also dropped uh, a fair number of points at the start so yeah, it, it it is still really tight, and I think, I think, I mean, Liverpool are still comfortably the bookies' favourites, aren't they? Um, but de- you know, definitely for the moment, it's uh, Spurs are well in the title race. Liverpool are looking ominously good at the moment, even since the injuries to Van Dijk and Gomez. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't win the league, but I still think mm. Spurs will come second. That's my, uh, that's my actually not that brave, <laughs> not that hot when you think about mistake. <laughs> uh, 11 so, games in. Yeah, uh, 29% of the way through the season, you know, it's uh, we're getting we're getting through the games. Um, so what else is there? Uh, Charlie, yeah, quickly, Antwerp, Thursday, Europa League prospects. What's the situation? Well, this is another, I mean, I feel like every Europa League game, we, we view it, mainly through the prism of the next Premier League match um, and so it's kind of about how much they want to how many of the first team regulars they want to play for this I mean they're, they're through already so I think most fans would be happy for them to pretty much rest everyone and accept if they don't win the group well it's not the end of the world um, far far better that than play someone and risk an injury 
I mean, you could go as far as playing the kids, some of those kids who came on um, against Ludogorets. But, you know, I think the main thing is that you you give minutes to guys like Delhi and Winks who haven't been playing very much recently. Um, and to be honest, I think, James, you may correct me, but I don't think there are many fans who, if Mourinho made 11 changes, would have much of an issue. No, no, I really don't think anyone's going to have a, a, a problem with that. I mean... I think it is important to kind of not just look at the next fixture, but to think about the next kind of month or, or six weeks as well. And they're going to be, I, I know we've had two games a week every week, more or less since September, but we know this is going to be a particularly busy period. And in terms of like the injuries that players will pick up and the fatigue that players will be feeling, particularly towards the end of matches, that's going to be quite a big factor. So like an opportunity to not play like Hoiberg, who's played loads, Kane and Sonu obviously played loads. It's quite, it's quite, you know, it is something I think you have to kind of grasp, isn't it? Um, and if they come second in that group and end up having to play a slightly better team in the first knockout round, then I, so be it, I guess, uh, you know, they're going to have to play decent teams eventually in that competition. Now, there aren't going uh, to, Jack is now pulling a face, as I've said, they're going to have to play decent teams eventually in the Europa League. But if, if they want to win it and Madrid or Inter, uh, who are the other there are a couple of other decent teams in the Champions League that could kind of end up coming in aren't there United, Man- United or, I suppose yeah. United, United or Leipzig PSG yeah yeah so you know and there are a couple of quite good teams in the in the in the uh, in the group already and, and, teams like and Arsenal. Arsenal yeah good um, <laughs> <laughs> great banter <laughs> uh, so yeah I, I mean yeah, I don't care, really. The the ideal situation is to make a load of changes of like, you know, a young player to score his first goal, Deli Alley to look good and score a goal and look happy, you know, Harry Winks to play 90 minutes, you know. Vinicius to get a Vinicius, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, think about it, they should be good enough to do that. It should be, that should be possible. You know, Lucas, the king of the Europa League, as we've crowned him, he should be able to, he should be able to play an hour or so and, and you would expect to do quite well. You know, and they've looked much better in the home games than the away games. It's been the away games that have not looked asked. Like I they've looked quite good. So yeah, I, I would expect he, he would make eight changes, nine changes. I, I that's me picking a number, by the way, not I'm not thinking of the names. Uh and that they'll win the game. Yeah, I think you may well be right. I think they'll definitely make close to that, if not more. Um just because I think he, he does trust them at home to get the job done. I mean Ludigretz and Linz at home are both so comfortable. And I do I mean what I think is really interesting is whether what what I think thinks extraordinary is Spurs have had like zero injuries despite having played more than everyone and starting the season with that ridiculous run of three Europa League qualifiers and that week of Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. I can't help but feel that must catch up with them yeah, eventually. Yeah, totally, 100%. And, the, and, the, and you're just minimizing the risk, aren't you, if you don't play people on Thursday night? Totally, and that's why you have to, as James says, grasp these opportunities. Because if they, if Spurs beat Stoke in the League Cup, which I think we all expect they will, then that means they won't have, from the start of September, from the 17th of September, that was the Thursday they went to Plovdiv, they won't have a midweek off, excluding international breaks where most of the players are playing, until the middle of January until around the 19th, 20th of January. I mean, that is that is just totally mad. And also the midweek games they've got coming up are the kind of midweek games where you definitely do want to play Harry Kane, like not least Anfield on yes. Wednesday the 16th of December, which is shaping up to be an absolutely colossal game. And then the next Wednesday, Wednesday 23rd <laughs> of December, Stoke City Carabao Cup quarterfinal. Um, 
I'd say you could rest Kane for that. Well, it's still a massive, massive game, and it will be like a sickener if they don't win it. So now is the time to not play Kane, given that he's obviously yeah, going to play next but I think, week. Yeah, I think you've got to trust, you know, Bale, Mora, Vinicius, yeah. guys like that against Stoke away. Did you see... Sorry, I mean, we should talk about this in a couple of weeks, really, going yeah. a bit early with this, but um, do you see Neil Warnock complaining about the away dressing room at Stoke? No. So no. Middlesbrough played at Stoke uh, on Saturday, and Neil Warnock came up came out after the game and basically obviously they have like a temporary away dressing room because of uh, because of like all the COVID restrictions uh, which I, I'm guessing is kind of a, like effectively a, like a port cabin somewhere uh, and you know look, we all know that uh, <laughs> Neil Warnock isn't afraid to have a little moan particularly when his team have just been beaten 1-0 um, but yeah he wasn't happy and it sounds like his facilities aren't particularly great so it could just kind of only add to that yeah cup tie vibe amazing yeah. Excellent. Well, that's. Uh, I mean, how yeah, is Vinicius going to do on a wet Wednesday at Stoke in a portal cabin? That's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Uh, thank you very much to everyone for listening. If you want another view from the lane podcast, we've just brought out a special edition which we did talking about the long read that Charlie and I published last week on Alan Sugar and his nine-year tenure at Tottenham Hotspur from 1991 to 2000. Um, me, James and Charlie talk through the piece. Uh, if you like the piece or if you're interested in Spurs history, you can find that episode of the podcast from the same place you find this episode of the podcast. Otherwise, we will be back again next week where we will be looking back at the Antwerp and Crystal Palace games and looking forward to that massive game at Anfield a week on Wednesday night before Spurs uh, then host Leicester the following Sunday. So it's a a really, really big week coming up in Spurs world. Thanks again, Charlie, James, and producer Tom. (laughs) 